right. Very good. Very good. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to meet you, brethren. And I'm going to tell you a terrible joke that I told to the church people here yesterday. And they were kind enough to, to laugh. So I'd appreciate it if you do just the same. All right. And, uh, and so here it is. I, I came up here and I saw all this snow and I thought, I've just got to tell this terrible joke. And, and, and it goes like this. Why don't Indians like snow? Because it's white and it's on their land. Amen. And so, man, y'all are nice. Amen. I like South Dakota. You're very kind. Turn with me in your Bibles to Nahum chapter 1 and uh, verse number 7 is uh, where we'll be reading. We'll read verses 1 through 7. Jonah, Micah, and then you'll find that little book of Nahum, the sequel. We were in Jonah yesterday in Sunday school. Nahum's the follow-up to that. Just a little more on what the preacher said, Now keep things brief this morning. Just want to encourage you, and then we'll get right on to lunch. But it's a blessing to be able to meet some folks that I've heard of but never been able to put a face to. Our dear brother I met in North Carolina a while uh, several years back, and... Uh, and so it's good to be able to, to see him and just glad you're here this morning. I've never preached to so many preachers on a Monday that weren't at church the day before. Amen. And so you fellas really need this today. Amen. <laughs> Nevertheless, I, I had the privilege to grow up on the Navajo reservation as a missionary kid. My parents have been out there a long time. God called dad to the reservation later in life. He already had all seven of us kids. He loaded up in a 1980-something Oldsmobile car. And uh, we set out, you know, that was back before you had to wear your seatbelt and you could cram kids in the floorboard and in the dashboard. And we put all seven of us and our luggage in that old car and set out on deputation 18 months later. We headed out from uh, Texas and we, we moved to the reservation, which is what we call home. And I was sharing with the church yesterday, it was, it was a lot of slow going. And we remember a lot of times where uh, there wasn't a lot of immediate fruit. We're living in a day and time now where God's chosen to give us a great harvest. We're seeing a lot of churches planted on the reservation. Eight churches, new churches have been planted by this summer. It'll be eight churches in eight years. So just about an average of uh, a church a year. Lord's raising up Navajo men and just doing a great work. And I'd encourage you, it's a wonderful place to take a missions trip. Uh, you don't have to get a visa and uh, and so forth, uh, you, you know, young people can come out, you get that third world experience, and uh, you're still in the United States, so you wouldn't know it, and you look around, and you go to the grocery store, you'd be the only white person there, amen, and so you really get immersed in another culture, we've seen God doing some really great things, I would ask you to pray for our people in Pinyon, that's where we're currently planting a church, God's really had his hand of blessing on it, we had two fellas yesterday filling in, and uh, Navo guys that fill in for me when I'm gone, Brother Anderson, uh, is a drug addict. He's been saved for two years, and God's done a work in his life. Brother Larry was teaching Sunday school, just an old drunk. Man, I'm, he's my one-legged soul-winning partner. And uh, before he got saved, got drunk in Gallup, New Mexico, draped his leg over a railroad track, and the train took it off, and, and he'll sit in the preaching. When you start talking about the goodness of the Lord and what God's given to us in salvation, he'll just beat on the nub of that leg. And he'll say, I always remember what sin took from me. But he said, I always, I'm always reminded of what God's given me, amen, and how much better it is to be able to serve the Lord and to be saved and, and so forth. So just a lot of good people there, and God's doing a good work among those natives. And I just ask you, I know there's a lot of native tribes around here. Man, if you've got anybody close to you, that's a mission field right underneath our noses. 
And, and I had somebody ask me, they said, you know, what are folks doing getting so excited about that Indian reservation out there in Arizona? I said, you know, uh, we've got a responsibility. The fact that many of these people are still unreached and live in communities that not only don't have a good independent Baptist church, but never have, it's an indictment upon our efforts as independent Baptists. In fact, independent Baptists work on the reservation. You can't find a work or hear of anything that dates beyond 70 to 75 years old. When folks went west, they brought shovels, they brought picks, they brought gold shaker pans, and they, it seemed like they left their Bibles in the east. So many of these places where planting churches not only do not have a gospel witness, but they never have. And so, brethren, listen, I know God leads people to do different things. And at the end of the day, uh, 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 you know, I'm not trying to beat us all down here with a lesson on, on history. I, I'm, I'm sure that the truth is somewhere in the middle of that whole account. But I am at least asking you to pray and to consider native missions and to lift up our people and ask God to give you a heart for reaching those folks. And if you're within arm's reach, and by God's grace, please just reach out to them. And uh, they may seem a little cold, may seem a little distant, and a lot of the stereotypes you might find out to be true, but it's not that they're disinterested in the gospel. They just need somebody to prove that they actually care about them. That's willing to go in, not looking for a notch on the belt, not looking for another fancy illustration, but actually cares about their soul. Amen? Now, I say all that to say, you say, well, are all these natives mad at us? No, when they get saved, they get the, this thing cleared out. I had a fellow come up to him. His name's Brother Ron. We'll get to the message in a minute. I'm just getting to know you, amen. You can't really rip somebody's head off until they love you. And I'm trying to love you, and hopefully you love me. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I remember we were turning over a church plant in Nazlini. Brother Ron comes up to me, big old fella, best butcher in our town. Boy, he could whittle up a sheep in no time. And he walks up to me and he says, Pastor, you know, you white people took our land. And I knew him well enough. I thought, he's getting at something here. I said, well, brother, I said, there were some things that weren't right. And he looks at me and he says, yeah, you took our land and you did this and you did this. And he just kind of went down the line and was letting me have it. And I stood back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he said, but you know what I figured out? He said, if the trade was you get our land and we get the Bible, he, he smiled real big. He says, we got the better end of the trade. Amen. And so the truth is they were killing each other and raping and stealing and pillaging long before we ever showed up. Now that's, that's no, listen, that's no excuse for things that were done. But I think God in His mercy looked down and He said, there's a people that need the truth. And it, and it may cost them and they may have to go through some hardships, but I'll put them through those things so that they can have the truth. Amen? And so I praise the Lord for the gospel influence on native people and I pray that we'll not neglect our responsibility to reach those folks. Well, I want to invite you there to look at Nahum chapter 1 and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Verse number 7 is my life's verse, my ministry verse when it comes to the Navajo Reservation and especially Pinyon. We've named the church there in Pinyon Strong Hold Baptist Church. And it is a stronghold of the devil, but there's a stronghold in Jesus Christ, amen, that they can run to and find safety. And so I thought just by way of being able to get to know you fellas a little better and to encourage you, there's been many times I've come to this passage and God's ministered to me. And so I want to minister to you through some of the truths that we see in Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Let's go ahead and stand together if you're physically able, out of love and respect for the reading of God's holy word. If 
if you don't want to, you don't have to. I had a fellow say one time, he said, well, I don't stand when I read my Bible at the coffee table. And I told him, I said, well, brother, this is church, amen. It ain't your coffee table. You probably don't wear a suit and tie to drink coffee on Sunday morning either. And so we do some things different at church that we might not do at the coffee table. And so anyways, I thank you for being gracious and willing to stand. Let me read you these seven verses. Now, you know the book of Nahum. You know what's going on here. You know this is the sequel to the book of Jonah. You know, it was written about a hundred years after the great uh, uh, evangelistic crusade that took place in Nineveh. We know that. And we know that after a hundred years, these Ninevites have gone right back into the same sin and the same wickedness they were involved in before. God said, I showed you grace and I've had it. And really, Nahum is a pronouncement of judgment upon these wicked people. And when you read the book, you're going to find it is fire, it is brimstone, it is the judgment of God upon a people that he had shown his favor and his grace in sending them a prophet. But you're going to find a verse here that just doesn't seem to match or to line up with all the rest of the book of Nahum. So let's begin reading in verse number one, and here's what your Bible says. The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry, and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth in Carmel, and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand in his in, uh, uh, before his indignation? And who can abide the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good. A strong hold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. It just doesn't seem like it fits, does it? Because you get into verse number 8 and he just gets to ripping them all over again. I mean, look at it. But with an overwhelming flood, when I make another end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue. I mean, he goes right back into the same pace and the same tone, if you will, with these people. But it's almost like God pauses in the middle and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me remind them that in the midst of my anger and in the midst of my wrath, I'm still a God that's good. And I still know those that trust in me. And they can still reach out and grab my hand if they want to. And I'll hold them strong. And I'll not let them fall. I'm telling you, every time I read this passage, I'm reminded of a story when I was a boy. My dad was driving out to uh, go and minister in, in a remote community there on the reservation. And he, uh, he drove through a terrible storm. We have a lot of flash floods when you've got ground as dry as ours. When water hits it, it just rolls right off and it floods across the road. And so he was driving through these flash floods and, and, and going through this storm and mud flicking up on the windshields. Well, he got to the other side of the storm and he saw something beautiful. In fact, it was so beautiful, he pulled off at the trading post and he got out uh, to make a phone call at the pay phone. Amen. How many remember pay phones? All right. We're still paying for them, but they just follow us around everywhere we go. He, he stopped there and he, 
And he made a call back to the house. And I remember picking up the house phone as a boy. And I, I said, uh, I said, hello. He said, Joel, I want you to go get your mom. He said, I'm looking at something beautiful. Now, dad was about two and a half hours away from where we were. He says, I'm looking at something beautiful. And I said, dad, mom's outside on the porch. She's looking at something too. And from two and a half hours away from one another, they were both outside looking at the same beautiful sight. You want to know what it was? It was a beautiful triple rainbow from one end right to the other. And every time I read this passage and I begin driving through the storm that is verses 1 through 6, it seems like we pull out the other side in verse number 7 and it's like God paints a beautiful triple rainbow. Sometimes you've got to go through the storm to be able to see it. Sometimes you've got to drive through some circumstances to be able to really appreciate the beauty of the scene that you're seeing in verse number 7. And what I want to preach to you and what I want to try to paint for you this morning just ever so briefly is God's triple rainbow after the storm. God's triple rainbow after the storm. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know. Listen, maybe you're on top of it. Maybe everything's great in the ministry and at home, whatever it might be. But I'm telling you, whether it's now or whether it's later, you're going to need a triple rainbow. And that's what I want to give you this morning. Amen? So let's do that. Now listen, don't make me preach all by myself up here. Preaching's a two-way street. And I'll let, I, I understand you're standing. I'm standing too, all right? You just, if the knees give out, then just plop. But uh, I'll lay the same ground rules that I did for the people this morning. Preachers, preachers need the same rules that people do, amen? People in the church. And here they are, okay? You'll determine. Now, the preacher wants me to go short, and I'm going to do my best, but I need your help. See, the more you respond, the harder I preach, the quicker I get tired, the sooner I shut up and we all go to lunch, Amen. And so in that way, you control the, the length of the service. It's all on you this morning, okay? And, and, then, and then secondly, folks, I understand we're preachers in here. And I understand that, that there is a temptation to give in to the arrogance that this message is good for somebody else. Well, listen to me. I didn't show up here today to preach to anybody except the people that showed up and that are listening to this. So this message is for you. It's not for your people. It's not how it applies to somebody in your ministry. This is for you. You didn't show up to listen to God speak to somebody else. Amen? I, folks, and I, I've told the, the, the people every single night, I say it every time I preach, I don't preach to waste time. I want to get something done. Amen? And when God calls me home, I don't want to have to give account for idle words and idle time. And so I didn't come up from Arizona to tickle your ears and to get popular in South Dakota. I could care less about that. I just want to serve the Lord, and I want to get something done for Him. And I think that if we preach God's Word, we'll get something done in all of our hearts. Amen? And so you say, well, he's just trying to get us to say amen. For I don't care what your response is. Navajos grunt. If you're doing good, then... When they start grunting all over the place, you think, man, it's on now. Amen. So if you're a grunter, if you're a head nodder, keep your eyes open while you're doing it. If you're a note taker, if you're a hand waver, if you're a la I don't care what you do. Just respond. Amen. It's God's word and we ought to be in it together. So let's pray and we're going to look at this triple rainbow. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for a chance to be able to preach to these men. Lord, there's better preachers in the room and I'm fully aware of that. And it's humbling just to be able to get a chance to preach your word. I know I'm nothing. And that's why I always come to you and I ask you for help because I need your help. And Father, there are men in here that I would aspire to the years of their faithfulness.
and look to them as a grand example of being able to weather storms. Lord, there are men in here that do well in outlining and in preaching and conveying a, a biblical truth, and I'm fully aware of that. But Father, I pray that you'd give me the boldness to rise to the occasion, and Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be bold to preach to your servants what they need to be encouraged in moving forward in ministry today. Uh, Father, I, I, as much as I appreciate Brother Yoder, and as much as I appreciate these men, they are not my priority this morning. My priority this morning is to please you. And I want you to smile on me. And I want you to be glad for what I'm preaching and what I'm saying. And Father, I just want you to be happy with your son. And so if you'll be pleased, and if you'll get honor and glory out of the brief service this morning, then I think we'll have accomplished what you want. And I think we can walk out of here glad that we met this Monday morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Now, we're going to let the Bible outline itself this morning. Will that be all right? Because I just figure the Bible outlines itself, preaches itself, teaches itself, defends itself better than ever, any preacher I've ever met in my life. And so we're going to just let the verse outline itself very beautifully this morning. Three points. I said last night, I'll say it again, don't you love a three-point message? It gives you hope that the preacher's going to be done quickly. One point, you think that's a third of the message, amen? We could go an hour on each point, but at least you've got hope to grasp for that I'll stay within the timeline, okay? So we're looking here at verse number 7. I want you to see, now this is going to get deep now. you got your pens ready. First of all, it says, the Lord is good. You say, now wait a minute, Brother Yoder should have brought this fellow in for the kids' conference. Doesn't he know he's preaching to a bunch of preachers? Come on, we know that the Lord is good. But brethren, I don't know about you, but, it, but, but in my life, the things that I forget first, the things that I lose sight of first, are sometimes the simplest and most basic of truths. I forget about the goodness of God. I think, what if the Lord does this? And what if the Lord does that? And I find my, my thoughts uh, uh, straying away from the simple truth that I've got a good Father, and that He loves me, and that He wants to do a work in my life, and He wants to see people say, the Lord is good. You say, oh, that's such a simple truth. And as simple as it is, there are people within walking distance of every one of our churches that have no idea the goodness of God. You see, Navajo people, their gods are not good to them. They operate off of fear. Uh, they operate off of anger. And if you step out of line, you get judged and you get stricken with sickness and you get stricken with a curse. Oh, how many don't know that we serve a God that is good. And can I remind you this? God's good when the seats are full and God's good when the seats are empty. And God's good when the offerings are up and God's good when the offerings are way down. God's good when there's a roof over your head and God's good even when the roof is leaking. God's good uh, 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 when the bank account's full, and God's good when you don't know where the next meal's coming from. The Lord is just always good. And so whether you're driving through a storm, just know there's a triple rainbow on the other side, and He'll remind you that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Hey, He's a strong hold in the day of trouble. That's two words, y'all. Strong Hold. That means he's something strong that you can hold on to when the winds get blowing and when the storm clouds creep in and when the rain be or when the snow begins to fall. He's still a hand that you can grab on to. Hey, listen, we, we put our faith and trust in a lot of things. I've seen you say, well, I, I, I've got good people, but sometimes good people do bad things. 
I've got a good church, but sometimes good churches go through storms. Well, I've got good friends, but sometimes friends let you down and disappoint you. But brethren, when I'm looking for a place to hold on to, when I'm looking for some encouragement, I don't have to look any further than to set my eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And I've found in Him always sufficient motivation and sufficient encouragement to continue on and to serve the Lord. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. Navajo people they, their stronghold is their tradition. Their stronghold was their sacred canyon. But their sacred canyon couldn't stand up to U.S. cavalry. And their traditions can't stand up. Listen, you talk to a Navajo person and you try to talk to them about death, they won't talk to you about death. They said, that's genie, that's negative, that's dark. We don't talk about death. There's no answer for after death. Their stronghold can't even tell them what's coming in the next life. What a joy it is to come in. Listen, I was talking to the brother the other day, uh, uh, to Brother Yoder and to uh, uh, Brother Cody was the other gentleman. I was telling them about some of our people's ceremonies and how they put their faith and their dependence on these ceremonies. We have one called a squaw dance. Now, white fellas call it a squaw dance because at the end, the squaws get to pick the fella they want to dance with. And whoever they dance with, they've got to give them a gift. So they're usually looking for the rich old guys, amen, that have some money, uh, have some nice things uh, uh, to dance with. And so white fellas looked at that and they said, well, that's a squaw dance because the squaws are in charge of that dance. But this particular ceremony, Navajo people have a blessing way and they have an enemy way if you want to curse somebody. We don't do enemy way much anymore. It's not politically correct. But we do a, a, the blessing way a whole lot. One of the blessing way ceremonies that our people do is called, uh, uh, we call it uh, Nidan. And that in that Nidan, if you want healing, whether you're coming home from, uh, 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 from military service, whether you've lived with non-Navajos, if you're battling with an alcohol or a drug addiction, if you're having struggles in your family with your children, whatever your problem is, you'd have a squaw dance. And if you can raise about $2,500, you can give that to the medicine man and he'll go ahead and do a ceremony for you. Now, here's how the ceremony works. They'll come in and they'll, they'll sit down in the hogan and uh, they'll put blankets on top of the patient. They call it the burden. And they'll sit underneath that burden. It represents whatever's ailing them whatever's causing them trouble in their life. The medicine man will begin to pray. He prays the same prayer over and over again, and he'll just repeat it. But, but one thing changes. He names a different spirit every single time he repeats the prayer. Wants to make sure. Now, my Bible says there's only one spirit that gives us access to God. Amen? And so, folks say, well, we all pray to the same God. Buddy, my, my cell phone number is 928-299-1707. You get one digit out of balance, some guy in Tuba City, Arizona is going to pick up on the other end. You ain't going to get me. There may be a lot of people out there trying to talk to God, but they're dialing the wrong number. There's only one spirit that gives you access to God. And when they begin to pray by these other spirits, there's somebody picking up on the other end, but it ain't God. It ain't a stronghold. It isn't somebody that cares for them and, and that'll watch over them. And so they'll, they'll pray that prayer. And what you have to do, and the, while the medicine man's praying, he's got a stick. It'll have feathers and it'll have rocks and it'll have turquoise coming off of it. And he's shaking it over the patient while he's praying that prayer. And everything that's causing them trouble, all those evil spirits will be placed on the stick. Someone from another clan, either you find a virgin boy or you find a man that's had the ceremony done recently, he's called the pure one. 
He rides with his uh, party on horseback and they come into the ceremonial grounds to meet the family and the medicine man. The pure one will take that stick. They'll all ride off together, both families now. They'll ride off and they'll get a certain distance and then the pure one separates himself from the pack. And the pure one will ride off into the distance and he'll take that stick. And I've seen it where he takes that stick and he just chunks it. I've seen him where he takes that stick and he goes and he'll dig a hole or he'll find a rock and he'll shove that stick underneath it and when he comes back he shouts and he says it's done. It's, the, hey, it, 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 it's finished. And so he comes back into the party and they'll all ride together back down into the ceremonial grounds and they'll get hey and they'll shout and they'll rejoice over what's been done. And when the patient hears the shouting of the, of, of, the, of the party, he'll stand up and he shakes off the burden and it means that he's free. It means that he's delivered from the burden that was laid on his back. And brethren, I'm telling you, that's what they're putting their faith in. That's their stronghold. Here's the problem. The next year they'll have to do it again. And the next year they'll have to do it again. And oh, what a joy to come and to tell our people about a pure one that came 2,000 years ago. And he had two sticks. And he took all our sin and all of my punishment. And he put it and bore it there. Bible says he bore our iniquities in his body. He bore my sin on those two sticks. And the Bible says he took that sin and he cast it as far as east is from the west. And he buried it in the sea of his forgetfulness. Hey, and I like this. He doesn't make me pay for the ceremony, amen? The price is already paid. Hey, and I like this. You don't have to repeat it. Hey, once he saves you, you're pure and you're clean. Hey, that's a stronghold that'll stand up. Oh, the Lord is good, and he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And I like this one best. This is where I plant a while. How many times in my own life and in yours... Have you been made to feel about that big? And to feel that the labor and the work that you do for the Lord is ever so insignificant. And I come to this third part of the voice, verse, and it really encourages me. The Bible says, and he knoweth them that trust in him. This is going to surprise you. When Donald Trump was going through his impeachment stuff, he never called me one time to ask my advice on how he ought to handle that. Governor Ducey, he owns Cold Stone Creamery Ice Cream in Arizona. I don't know if you've got those up here, but they're okay. All right. That's our governor, the ice cream man. Ice cream man never calls me and asks my advice how to run the state of Arizona. He doesn't even know my name. I know this is going to surprise you, but old brother Joel's just a big nobody. I'm a dusty res kid from the middle of the desert. I didn't even know what I'm doing here. This preacher's just really nice to let me come up here and preach. I mean, I'm telling you, other than people that I know and love, and God's given me some good friends, I'm no big shot. He knows my name. But it sure is good to know. And when I get down on my knees, somebody a lot more important than Donald, somebody a lot more important than the governor, I'm talking about the God that's named every star. 
I'm talking about the God whose hand spans the universe. When I get down on my knees and I call on Him, we're having a one-on-one conversation. Hey, He's listening to the prayers of millions go forward. And yet, when I get down on my knees, it's like the world stops spinning and He listens to me and He knows my name. And I don't catch Him by surprise by anything that's going on in my life because He knows them that trust in Him. I'm going to share you one more testimony and then we're going to be done. Y'all have helped me, amen? I need lunch, I need lunch. I want to tell you the testimony of Harold Noble. When Navos get to know people, they like to tell a lot of stories, amen? And I know I look like a white guy, but if you go to the, the hardware store, you look through those colors in there, there's one that's called Navajo White. That's the kind of white I am, all right? So I just want to get to know you. I want to tell you about some people that matter to me. I want to tell you about a fellow named Harold Noble. Harold was uh, being trained to be a medicine man by his grandfather. And he, would add, he was a curious young man, probably more curious than many that involved themselves in our traditional ways. And his grandfather was teaching him the prayers and teaching him the ceremonies and how to use the herbs and, and, and things of that nature and how to prescribe remedies to people and And he asked his grandfather, he said, Grandfather, I've always had a question. Where do we go when we die? And he looked at him, he said, Yeah, grandson, no. We don't speak of such things. That's not for us to know. That's dark. That's black. That's You don't speak of such things. I don't want to ever hear that from you again. And he said, but grandfather, if I'm supposed to be the leader of the people, how, how can I lead them if I don't even know what's coming next? So he looked at his grandson and he says, well, grandson, if you want this information, you have to pay like everyone else. He said, but I'm your grandson. He said, that's how it must be. You need to get me the white shell beads for my jewelry making. And once you've done that, then I'll tell you. Now, that's a very expensive type of jewelry making supply. And so he thought, surely a little boy would never gather the resources to get the white shell beads. And so he was just distracting him. And yet, Harold Noble, it took him a couple of years, but he got it together. He got the white shell beads because this question that was burning in his heart, it hadn't subsided. So he went to his grandfather says grandfather I'm so excited I've got you the white shell beads and he watched as his grandfather that old medicine man took that those white shell beads and he cast them on the ground and he said grandson will never speak of such things and that moment he realized his stronghold what he believed in that it was a lie he lost faith in his traditional ways and he and he found salve in his broken heart in the form of the bottle like many of our people do. And he set out to Gallup, New Mexico, and he became a well-known drunk wandering the streets and fighting and in and out of the jails. And Christmas Eve, 1960, he's picked up and put in the drunk tank. And he said he remembers Christmas Day. He was kind of coming out of his stupor, and he remembers that there were some people walking around in, uh, in the jail, and they were singing Christmas carols. And he said pretty soon he heard him open his cell and a white man walked in there and he stood in the middle, just a big one-room cell. And he said, Brother Joel, he's sharing this testimony with me. He said, Brother Joel, he said, I looked around and I saw that sin wasn't prejudice. He said, I saw, I saw men 
using the restroom in the corner. I saw fellas laying in their own puke, in their own vomit, and they were of all colors, and they were from all directions. And he said, I realized that we all had the same problem. And this white man, this Billigana, came with that folding chair, and he put it right in the middle of us. And he stood up on top of that chair, and he started to point at a book, and he started to point down at us. And he said, something in my heart said, I've got to get to that book. He said, I crawled on my hands and my knees and I used my elbows and I, I listened closely and I heard him talk about a man named Jesus who loved even old sinners, old drunks like us. And he said that if we, if, if we asked him for forgiveness, he'd save us and we could go to heaven and we could beat this drink. And he said, so I went over, there was only one window in our cell. He said, I went over there and I looked outside into the, uh, into the sky and he said, I told God, this was his sinner's prayer. He said, God, this is Harold. I think God knew that. This is Harold. And I heard you love even drunk Indians like me. And if you want me the way I am, you can have me. Now, I don't know what you think, but I think maybe you got saved that night. That's not where the story ended. They released him, and there he is, Christmas night, 1960, and he's got to get home. He lives some 70-plus miles away from Gallup, New Mexico. He was done with the drinking. He needed to get to Toye, Arizona. So he did like a lot of our people do. He started hitchhiking. Amen. Everything's hitchhiking distance once you get on the reservation. Now, a lot of our people, what they do is they'll hold out you know, money to say, if you pick me up, I'll give you this for gas money. But Harold didn't have any. Now, listen, being a good missionary I am, when you need a burger, you just slow down and make a collection and keep on going. Amen. I don't do that. I don't do that. But, but, but you could. He didn't have any money, so he just used the old magic thumb. Started hitchhiking along. And of all things, pulls over a truck full of a bunch of drunk Navajo folks. He thought, you know what? Look at the way I look, the way I am. Nobody else is going to pick me up. I better get in with them. So he gets in there, and he starts to ride with them, and they get as far as Windorock, Arizona. And, and, and the grandma asks him, she says, Harold, what's your clan? Navos introduced themselves by clan, and he said, it's Tortachini, big water people. And she goes, that's a stupid clan. Let's kill him. So they pulled over and they were going to kill him because they didn't like his clan. They shoved him out of the truck and these fellows, still really tipsy, grabbed a tire iron. Of course, by this time he's sober. He grabbed the tire iron, laid up a couple of those fellows, left them laying in a pool of their own blood, and he ran from Windorock, Arizona up to St. Michael's. Of course, back then, we had no pavement on the reservation. We still don't have much pavement on the reservation. But uh, So he took that run uh, up a steep incline, and he stopped, and of course, snow on the ground, and, 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 and he stopped, and he caught his breath, and he looked back. He thought he'd made far enough distance, and he opened his coat, and steam came out. And he remembered his grandfather had taught him, grandson, if you ever sweat in the snow, you'll die. So he looked and he saw himself drenched in sweat and he looked up at the sky and he said, is this it, God? Is this what you saved me for, to leave me to die out here in the snow? Just about that time, an old Navajo pickup truck came and pulled over. You say, what makes a pickup truck Navajo? 
when half of it's held together with bailing wire and duct tape, it's a Navajo pickup truck. And so here it came, kaplunka, 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 and pulled right over to where he was. And there was an old Che, uh, uh, an old grandpa sitting inside of there. And he leaned into the window that was rolled down, and he says in Navajo, he said, Che, how far are you going? Now, to understand this part of the story, Navajos, they like to point with their lips. So the old chap, and I asked a guy one time, I said, why do you do that? He said, I don't know, saves wear and tear on the fingers, amen. And uh, I mean, it's a little unnerving if you don't know what they're doing because the first time a fellow pointed to me, he says, over there. I said, hey, 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 watch out now. We're not going there, okay? But uh, that old chase says, uh, just a little way. So we got in the truck and they went up what we call the summit. It's about a 7,800 foot peak, snow everywhere on the ground. And they, they began, he said, what if this old man lives in the mountains? What if he's a mountain dweller? He says, he's going to leave me here to die. And he said, Che, tell me how far you're going, please. Che said, just a little way. They pulled down into Ganado, which is where my parents live and where we've established our, our, our small little college where we train Navajo men and women for the ministry. He, he pulled into Ganado and he said, this is the largest town close to anything. Surely he lives here and he's going to leave me here to die. He said, Che, please tell me, how far are you going? Che just smiled and said, just a little way that Che drove 20 more miles with no direction. And he took a left down a dirt road to Toye with no direction. And he pulled right in front of Harold Noble's Hogan where he lived. But this time, Harold didn't know what to say. He just, in amazement, got out the other side of the truck and came around to Grandpa's window and he said, Che, please, tell me how far you're going. And that old Che just smiled and he says, Gosh, gosh, little boy. I'm going just a little ways. He walked up and he got ready to walk into his hogan. He says, I turned back and he said, I didn't even see the taillights. He said, Brother George, would you think I'm crazy if I said I thought that that guy was an angel? I said, I think you'd be nuts to think it wasn't. Harold Noble went to church the next day, a little Bible church. He saw a box of Bibles, so he stole one. He was under so much conviction. He went back to church that Sunday and apologized to the missionary, and they said, no, 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 Harold, you can have one of those. They were for free. He started preaching to his people, telling them what God did for him. And they said, Harold, you sound like one of those Baptists. So I guess I'm a Baptist. You know, if you read the Bible, you'll just be a Baptist. We celebrate his 89th birthday this year. And he's been preaching the gospel for 48 years. And he got our family on the reservation. You say, say, why are you telling us this story? Because can I tell you, everybody else, he's just a drunk Indian. He doesn't matter. But God looked down, can I tell you, and when you get to thinking that God doesn't know who you are and where you are, I'd just like you to remember a drunk little Indian in the drunk tank in Gallup, New Mexico, Christmas Day, 1960. God knew exactly where he was, and the devil said, I'm going to kill that dirty Indian. And God sent an, an angel right by his way to preserve him, and now he's been preaching the gospel all these years, and he didn't know that there'd be missionaries, and there'd be people that'd come along that he'd help teach and, and show them how to reach Navajo folks. I'm just telling you
telling you, God knew where he was, and if he knew where an old drunk was, he knows where you are this morning, and he'll know where you are tomorrow, because God knoweth them that trust in him, and he's good, and he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. That's my God. I said, Lord, what do I need to get? I just want to brag on Jesus. Amen. I love him so much. And I love the way he works. And I love how he cares for me like nobody's ever cared for me. And I just want you to know that when the storm comes or when you get to the other side, there will be a triple rainbow waiting for you, brother. There will be a triple rainbow waiting for you, sister. Because the Lord is good. And he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them. Knoweth them that trust in him.